Passing through the brush around him, Dewey hit the flashlight against his hand, cursing again at his carelessness for leaving his gun behind. The beam came on again, slightly brighter than before. The man was gone. Dewey whirled around, his fight-or-flight response kicking into overdrive, but he couldn't see anything other than the barely-moving brush. Romper trotted over to him, the ridge of fur on his back relaxing, his tail returning to a curved state. Dewey transferred the flashlight over to his dusty left hand and grabbed Romper's collar with his right. Damn, dog, what the hell was that, and why'd you chase after it? He thought about reporting the situation to the Purcell PD once he got to Tanisha's house, but he wasn't quite sure what to report. He had no idea where the hurt guy was from, what he was doing out there, or what was wrong with him. Besides, if he called them from Tanisha's phone, they might want to know what he was doing at a married woman's house near midnight without her husband home, and he couldn't recall any payphones nearby. They got back to his truck without further incident, and Dewey grabbed a half-drunk bottle of water out of the back of the bed. Whatever the dust on his hand was, it was starting to itch, and he poured the water on it, then wiped it off with an oil rag. He hoped it wasn't some kind of nettle or poison ivy or something like that, When the itching stopped almost immediately, he ceased to care. By the time he got to Tanisha's driveway, he had decided he'd only say something to the cops tomorrow if he read something about the missing man in the paper or heard about it on the radio or TV. No use inviting trouble. As he stumbled through the fields, the wounded man did not care that his feet or hands were bleeding, and he could barely remember the man who had tried to help him when he had jumped off of the train car— He couldn't remember much of anything, so insistent was the gray-green noise in his head. The gray-green was in control of him now, pushing him further and further, unconcerned with the cost to its host. It knew what its needs were and would achieve them somehow. Sickly light shone up ahead, past a recently harvested field, and the man saw several tall structures near the lights. He stumbled toward them, knowing they would be his final destination— In the dull part of his brain that was still his, he knew that they were grain silos and that inside them was undoubtedly the crop from the fields he was even now traversing. Minutes later, he breached the metal siding door of the closest silo and began climbing the stairs toward the top. His movements were ever more jerky as his joints stiffened and his muscles fought against themselves. When he came to the top platform, where the grain elevator was at its apex, he began to climb out onto the struts holding the equipment in place. As he neared the center, crawling upside down with his arms and legs hugging a cross-beam strut, the man could barely remain conscious over the pain. Below him, in the darkness, was nothing but grain of some kind. He didn't know or care what kind it was, nor why he was now suspending himself over it hanging upside down. The man's body convulsed as his muscles locked completely, every muscle seized, including his heart. In his last seconds of life, the man thought, absurdly, of Lukmat al-Qadi, the honey-dipped dumpling his mother had made for him one Ramadan. Four hours later, as the sun crested the eastern expanse of Oklahoma morning, Walid Rizmalad's head exploded like a pierced balloon— Billions of microscopic gray-green fungal particles rained down onto the grain below, shimmering through the streaks of light that filtered through tiny holes in the silo walls. Washington, D.C., 6.44 a.m. Fox Mulder awakened abruptly. 
He rarely slept well, even with the soothing, bubbling, and hum of the oxygen pump attached to his fish tank nearby. There was a scraping sound near his door. He dropped softly off the couch to the floor, reaching for his gun, but a glance at the crack under the entryway to his apartment told him that nobody was coming in unannounced. Still, he approached the door with caution, gun positioned in one hand. As expected, there was nobody there, and as Mulder looked down the hallways in either direction, he could see no movement or shadows. On his doorstep was a neatly folded newspaper. He stooped to grab it, then closed the door and moved toward his desk by the window. The morning light filtered in and caught the masthead of the Washington Post. But also folded within the paper was a map. Mulder opened it and saw that it was a map of Oklahoma. Circled in red was the town of Purcell, fifty miles or so south of Oklahoma City. As if by design, which he knew was probably the case, Mulder's mobile phone rang. He put the box...